One of the most important signs of true faith is love. Jesus tells us in John's Gospel that love is the means by which people can discern whether we are his disciples. And so in John 13 and verse 35, we read, By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now let's take a moment here to see what John has to say about love in this next section of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. And here in this section, we read this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For here fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, it's easy to see just how important love is for John in these verses. In these 15 verses that we've read, the apostle uses the word love 27 times. And that can be confusing, but let's take a moment to break down what John is telling us about love in these verses. Let's begin with what he tells us about God in verses 8 and 16. Verse 8, we read, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And in verse 16, we read, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God 
is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And so John tells us in verses 8 and 16 that God is love. And that's the basis for what he has to tell us in these verses. Now, when John tells us that God is love, he's not saying that that's all there is to God. Because God is much more than just love. We know him also as a holy God, a sovereign God, an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God, etc., etc. And the question we ask here, however, is why does John emphasize this attribute of love in these verses? Well, consider for a moment that God is holy, but we're sinners. God is perfect, but we are imperfect. God is all-powerful, but we're limited in, in what we can do. God is eternal, but we're finite. All of these attributes of God separate us from him. What is common in, between an infinite God and a finite being? What does a perfect God share in common with a sinful human? And so there's an infinite gap between God and human beings. But then consider again the words of John who tells us that God is love. That attribute of God gives us hope. If a holy God loves us, there's a possibility of pardon. If an infinite God loves us, there's a chance that he might have compassion upon us. Now, what would happen if we removed love from the list of God's characteristics? If God was not love, what chance would we have? Remove love from God and you remove salvation from humanity. Love is the bond between God and a sinful world. If God was not a loving God, his holiness and justice would consume us. And so this is the starting point for John. God is love. Not that God is only love, but one of the attributes of God that bind us to him is his attribute of love. Now, having established that God is love, John moves on to the next step, and he tells us that love is from God. Verse 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In other words, God is the source of love, true love. If you want to love, you need to draw that love from God. And where God lives... There is love. Where, where God lives in the heart, that heart experiences and demonstrates love. Love abounds where, where God dwells. Now listen to what John tells us in, in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We've not seen God. 
but we know his presence by the love that is in our heart, the love we feel for one another. And the assumption here is that this love is not natural to us, but of divine origin. We love because God is in us and his heart is in us and his love is filling us and overflowing in us to others. So love, true love, is from God and is the result of his presence in our lives. Now, the next point John wants to make here is that not only is God love and that true love is from him, but next, God demonstrates his love to us. Listen to what John says in verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God pours out his love upon us in an extreme way. He, he sent his son to die for us. He, he became the sacrifice for our sin so that through his work, we could be pardoned. Now notice how John tells us that God takes the initiative here. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God took the first step of love. Before we cried out to him, he had compassion on us and sent his son. Before we were looking for him, he was pursuing us. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world, says John in verse 14. There could be no greater expression of love. That which was most dear to God, he sacrifices for us. And not only does God give us his son as a demonstration of his love who dies on the cross for us, but he also gives us his Holy Spirit. In verse 13, he says this, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit comes to remain with us moment by moment. In John chapter 14 and verses 15 to 18, the, the John says here, or Jesus says rather, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit of God has been given to us to be our helper. And God, Jesus Christ, promises that he will not leave us as orphans. He assures us that we will have the support we need each and every moment of our life. The Father has invested in us in the person of his Son who dies for us and in his Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
And so God demonstrates his love by giving his son to die on the cross and his Holy Spirit to live within us forever. Next, John tells us that this love of God casts out fear in our lives. Notice what he says in verse 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now John tells us here, that God's love, as it matures in us, will give us a growing confidence in him as we come to face the day of judgment. As we come to understand the love of God in sending his son to us and putting his Holy Spirit in us, our hearts are filled with confidence and assurance as we stand before him. Will he who loves us to this extent cast us aside? Will he who sent his son to die for me not accept me now that the work of his son has forgiven me and has been applied to my life? Will he who has invested his Holy Spirit in me abandon the work his spirit has done in me? Will the father abandon his child for whom he has sent his son to die? John tells us that we can have great confidence in the day of judgment because God loves me. Jesus, the Son, has paid his day, the debt for me. Je the, the God, the Holy Spirit, has been working and maturing in me. Now consider once again what John is telling us here. For fear, he says, has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear has to do with punishment. That's to say we fear the wrath of God because of who we are, because of our sin. But John tells us that those who fear in this way have not been perfected in love. That's to say they've not come to understand the immensity of this love and its implications in our lives. Those who truly understand the love of God will see just how secure they are in that love. There is nothing stronger than the love of God. Satan cannot break the commitment of God to us. Sin has no power over that love. Our own failures and our unfaithfulness will not deter the love of God. To understand the immensity of God's love is to be secure and confident. And this confidence and security is not in ourselves, but in a God who loves us despite who we are. We would surely fail. But God's love will cover us and give us eternal life and eternal hope because of the love of God. We can be absolutely confident and secure in the day of judgment. Now, the final point John makes here in this section is that we who have experienced this kind of love from God, must also love as God loves us. Now, John expresses this in a number of ways. He expresses our need to do this, our need to love, in a variety of different ways. And first, he expresses it 
as a commandment of God. In verse 21, he says this, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So John tells us that God expects us to love our brother and our sister. And if we are not doing so, we are not walking in his purpose. We must love each other because God requires it. And it is his commandment to us. But second, John expresses his need for us to love in terms of a moral obligation. In verse 11, he says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John is telling us that if we are loved by God in this way, we have a moral obligation to love others just as we have been loved. Can those who've been forgiven not forgive their brothers and sisters? Can those of us who've been loved by God not love others as he has loved us? So God is calling us to love because this is a moral obligation that we have. Those who've been loved must also love. Thirdly, John expresses this need for us to love as a confirmation of our relationship with God. Listen to what he says in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so the apostle tells us here that if we cannot love our brother, we need to examine our relationship with God. If our heart is filled with hatred for a brother and sister, then it is not a heart that comes from God. And if we do not have a heart that comes from God, what assurance can we have that we truly belong to him? One of the signs that we are a genuine believer is in the fact that God has given us a new heart of love. And when we experience his love for our brother and sister and for even our enemy, we know that we belong to him because his heart is in us. John puts it in another way when he says in verse 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you love as God loves, you've been born of God. If you cannot love, you do not know God. Where God is, there is love. And when he is in your heart, that love is reflected in your heart. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the love of God is in your heart when you see it being demonstrated to those around you. Now, finally, John expresses this need to love as a means of abiding in Christ. And so he says here in verses 15 and 16, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. 
Whoever abides in love abides in God. Do you want to walk in fellowship with God? Then walk in love. Do you want to experience a deeper relationship with Christ? Then love your brother and your sister. Do you want to know faithful and fruitful service? Then serve out of love. Where there is hatred and unforgiveness in your heart, it will only harm your relationship with God. You cannot love God if you do not love your brother and sister. You cannot honor God if you don't demonstrate his love to those around you. If you want to mature in Christ, you need to let his love be perfected in you. This love is your testimony to the world. It is your confidence before God. It is the path of deeper intimacy with Christ, learning to grow in love love for him. The greatest commandment of all, says Jesus, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second greatest commandment. And so love is the means by which we can abide and grow and be matured in our relationship with him. Beloved, says John, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God.